Amen. As our kids are leaving for Children's Church, if you will grab your Bibles and turn to the book of James with me. James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. And if you need a Bible today, please look in front of you. There should be a pew Bible. And if you'll open up that Bible, you can turn to page uh, 10,000. Not 10,000, that would be a lot of pages. Not that many pages in the Bible. 1,011. And you will be right there with us. James chapter 1. If you need a Bible to take home, please take that Bible home with you. It's our gift to you. And we're so glad that you're here today. James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. We'll read through the end of the chapter. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. Today, may we be quick to hear your word. Any distractions that may be going through our minds, clear us of those, Father. Father, may we not be quick to speak in our own minds today, and may we not be quick to become angry at what we hear today, but may we be quick to listen so that we may hear and that we may go and do. We ask that by your grace, you would teach us your word through the power of the Holy Spirit, convict our hearts, draw us close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear and do. Last week, we said value wisdom. This week, as we look in James, the end of James chapter 1, it's hear and do. In the first two weeks of this series in James, we really responded to this question. How do we respond to trials? When trials come our way, how do we react? So that's what we've seen so far. Uh, We've been challenged in the word of what James has written, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And now this week, we look at this question. How do we respond to truth? So we've, we've looked at trials. Now, how, what is our response to truth, the truth of God's word? So the first point, if you're taking notes today, is this. Remove the impurity of the flesh and receive the implanted word. As we saw in verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear 
As a teenager, I remember the nights after Bible study where I would stand in the parking lot with my student pastor on a Wednesday evening and he would listen to all of my troubles and I would just unpack for him everything that was happening in my huge, big world. And there he was fixed in on what I was saying. What I appreciate is as I was talking to him, he wasn't looking over my shoulder at someone else. Um, He was completely focused in, in what I was saying. And I've grown to understand just how difficult that can be as a pastor when you're meeting with a group of people and you want to talk with many people in the room, but yet he had this gift of listening. And, and I commented on it one day. I said, you know, Wednesday night after Wednesday night, you make time for me. You listen to what's going on in, in school and in sports. Um, I'm starting to like girls now and I can even come to you and talk to you about that. And you don't make me feel silly for having real questions and experiencing real challenges in these things. Thank you. you. You really have the gift of listening. And he responded with this. He said, Brian, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And maybe someone along the way has shared that negative truth with you as well. But I've, I've held on to that and it is so true. There are a lot of things that we learn, a lot of things that we can teach and a lot of things where people come up and say, you know what, you taught something new today that I never knew according to the word. That is, that is great, thank you. But the true compliment is, is not in how much we know, but in how much we really care for the people. And so he had this great gift of loving, of listening. And, and you know, it is vitally important that we listen to each other. Husbands in the room, we do, we, we have a hearing problem. We have to confess that. We hear a lot of things, but we just don't listen. We nod our heads, uh-huh, that's right, but don't put us in a restaurant with a lot of TVs and expect to have meaningful conversation. It's just not gonna happen. So when we hear this today and, and we look in the word, we say, you know, yes, I need to be a better listener. I need to listen to my friends more. I need to listen to people at work. I need to listen to my spouse. I need to listen to my kids. And you know what, you're absolutely right. But before all of that, it is vitally important that we hear this in its right context today, we must listen to the word of God. So yes, we must listen to each other, but before all of that, we must listen to the word of God. For if we are faithful to listen to God's word, then we will be slower to speak and slower to become angry. So it's always important when we're studying a book of the Bible that we remember the audience. So remember this audience, uh, Jews who are now following Jesus have been spread abroad due to persecution. And so they're staying in different homes that are not their own. And as they're staying together, there was probably an elder nearby. And when they received this letter written by James, everyone would gather together and he'd read the word to them. So instead of them all opening up their Bibles and reading along with me on page 1011, they would sit and they would listen. The children would sit there and and they would listen. They were eager to hear. But he's telling them in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your persecution, in the midst of being relocated from your dream home, you need to hear the word. So when you gather together, be ready. When you come together as a local church, be prayerful. Did you pray this morning when you woke up or on your way here or right before the service started? Lord, I want to hear your word. I want to hear you speak today. That's the idea here. Be quick 
to hear. You see, a lot of times we can be quick to do the other, quick to become angry and quick to speak. And there's this thing called a false start in the Olympic Games. They call it the cruelest rule in Olympic sports. When sprinters line up and they prepare for their race and all of a sudden the gun sounds, if they have a quick false start, meaning they go before the sound of the gun, they are immediately disqualified. This wasn't the case before 2010. And before then you could have one false start and then your second false start, then you were disqualified. Usain Bolt was a big fan of this new rule because he thought this is gonna be to his advantage because what took place in the false starts, you'd have uh, runners beside you to the right and the left and they would intentionally false start to throw him off of his timing in game. And so he was a big fan of this and two, it it really slowed down the races uh, throughout the event. So they said, we're gonna speed things up and we're gonna eliminate this advantage that runners are trying to gain. But it was in 2011 at the World Championships that Usain Bolt had a false start. He went a split second too soon. And as soon as he started, he knew immediately that he had false started. And all the other runners looked down. Nobody wanted to look at each other in the face. Nobody wanted to smile because in their hearts, they were all joyful going, the fastest runner in the world just got disqualified. And you could just see the disgust on his face took his shirt off, and he walked into the locker room disgusted. Why? Because this false start disqualified him from something that he loved and something that he was good at and something that he knew he could win. But now he did not have a chance, and it was his fault. You see, we can be very quick with our false starts when we become angry. We can be quick just to boom, spout off something. I mean, just get angry in that moment. And we don't even know why we get so angry so quick, but it's a false start before we even know the whole situation. Or we can be really quick to speak and speak a lot. And the more we talk, the the more things we're bound to get wrong. And yet we create these false starts. And when we do, we disqualify ourselves. We disqualify ourselves from being a faithful servant in the home, a good leader in the home. We can do big damage that has lasting impact and effects. And so we have to be careful with getting angry and not creating this false start. Because as soon as you create this false start, all of a sudden there are broken relationships. There could be disqualified relationships. There can be a period in your life where you're constantly angry and and you're always spouting off and and you're not listening. Or you're just quick to speak and you're always thinking, how can I sound good in what I'm about to say next? Instead of listening in the conversation, you're ready to give a response. And what James is writing to the early church, he says, don't be the ones who have this false start. You may be angry, you may be frustrated, because you've been relocated, don't take it out on each other. When you come together, instead of being so frustrated about your circumstances, be strong, be immovable, be steadfast, and listen to the word. So why are we so quick to speak? And why are we quick to become angry? You know, for the shy ones in the room, you would say, hey, that speaking thing's really not a problem for me. But maybe you're quick to think. Maybe you're quick to judge. 
And then you say, well, you know, I have my outlets. I just have to blow off some steam at times, but are, is, is that really a cover for being quick to gossip? Do you feel better about yourself because someone else was put down? Are you finding it hard to cheer for others and really celebrate for others when something goes good in their lives because that's not happening for you? And so if you can take a shot, you feel a little bit better about your life. You say, what is wrong with anger? Anger can motivate, right? Especially when it comes to sports. You tell somebody on the offensive line, man, you need to get mad. You need to have some anger. Put him on his tail. But when it comes to living life, Anger is a poor motivation for righteousness of God. And so anger comes from a desire for justice. All of a sudden, we, we stand bold. We are vocal. We do not hold back because we want the right thing to be done. And it doesn't mean that it's the right thing, but whatever feels right to us in the moment of the flesh when we're offended, when we're caught off guard or disappointed by others, our flesh cries out, justice must be served. And so we are quick to anger. We are quick to speak. And so where there is a perceived lack of justice, according to the flesh, we act out with vengeance, anger. It, it can be the cruelest of silent treatments. It may, your anger, you may not be vocal at all. In fact, you don't say a word. And spouses are looking at each other going, mm-hmm, that's right. Had that silent treatment this week. Rage may be the opposite of the silent treatment. Maybe you just go full on rage. Or again, you get angry. You begin just to slander people. You want to pick out anybody but yourself to put down. You see, anger is contaminated with prejudice. It's how we see the situation and how we see it is right. It's through our own minds without thinking of the lives of others. You think about the early church as they would get frustrated with one another. Maybe a whole bunch of them were piled into one house and they all had to wait to use the restroom. I don't know what the situation may be, but they had to be patient with each other. To put away prejudice of only thinking through our lens, only seeing things through our lens. You see, once we get angry, it is a release of sinful steam. That steam we're letting off when we get angry and we just go vocal on it, that's sinful steam. So no wonder it does not produce the righteousness of God because in that moment, the focus is not on God. It's on self. It's on self. So let us not create false starts when it comes to speaking and when it comes to becoming angry. James gives five commands. He says, be quick to hear, listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. That's not all. He says, then be faithful to remove and be faithful to receive. So he continues on, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. This putting away of filthiness and, and rampant wickedness is the idea of shedding a garment, of taking off a filthy robe. When I work out in the mornings and I have my sweaty gym clothes and I come back in the house, my wife says, uh-uh, no, 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 don't you put it in the basket. Go put it in the washing machine right now. 
because it smells disgusting. And I'm slightly offended because I thought my sweat smelled good, but no, it doesn't. Put it in the washing machine. That's where those smelly garments go. I would be foolish to say, no, 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 no. I was thinking about putting those on and just going to work today. Thinking about going to hang out with some friends today and just wearing these smelly gym clothes. She said, no, I'm not going to let you out in public like that. I know she wouldn't. Or maybe she would, just as a mean joke. But you're not going to go out in your smelly garments. You're going to put those in the wash. And it's the idea of putting aside the old garments. Imagine the prodigal son when he's coming to meet his father and he's thinking, I don't know if my father's going to receive me or not. And the father runs to him and kisses him and receives him. And what does he call out for? He calls out for several things, but one of those things he calls out for is bring the robe. Bring the robe. Get these clothes off. Man, you smell like pig slop. What you been doing? Well, dad, I've been hanging out with pigs. I've been eating pig food. If I'm being honest, I spent all of my inheritance and I stayed with the pigs. Take those clothes off, man. I'm putting the robe on you, man. You will be clean. What's the idea here? What is Jesus teaching in this parable? He is saying that he is the one who has come to provide the clean garments, the righteous robe to be placed on those whom he loves. The exchange was that he took our filthy garments and he went out in public wearing them. He was on public display on the cross wearing our filthy stains, our sins, the sins you committed this week that I committed this week. That Hey, who are we kidding? That we committed this morning, that we thought, that we did. He wore those garments and he went to the cross and he died bearing the punishment for wearing those garments. And James is writing to his audience. He's saying, hey, put away the rampant wickedness. Put away the filthiness. Christ died for you. He died for those sins. You are the church. Put on the robe of righteousness. Put on Christ. That's the idea here. It's wearing the robe of Christ. So you shed it like a garment. You see, when we approach the word of God, we bring many worldly preconceived ideas to our reading of scripture. I think it's appropriate that we bring hogwash. We bring filthy garments to our understanding of the word. We, we think about it through our context. As, many, as soon as we read things, we think about it from the 21st century. We don't dig into what was going on in the early church. We think about the afflictions of our lives without thinking about the afflictions that they were going through. We must remember this. The word thinks much differently than the world. The word of God thinks much differently than the world. And we are immersed in worldly thinking. So we must come to the word of God so that we can think differently. We can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So instead of reading the word through our worldview, may the word shape our worldview. That's what should happen when we come to the Bible. 
So receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. This word receive carries the idea from Psalm chapter one, like a tree planted by the waters. As that tree is planted by the stream, it soaks up all the nutrients. It soaks up that water that is good for its growth. We are to receive the word, the implanted word in such a way that we may be healthy, strong trees. And we're to do it with meekness. And as soon as we hear meekness, we may think that means weak. But if you were with us when we did our fruit of the spirit study, we we understand that meekness is an inwrought grace of the soul and the expressions of it are primarily toward God. And so we think high thoughts of God and we know who we are without God. That's meekness when we think through that vein. As Christians, we receive the word internally and externally. So when we're talking about hearing the word, we're not only just hearing the word as we hold it in our hands, but there has been a word that has been implanted within us. This is grace. This is God coming first to us and implanting the truth of who he is and why we need him. He plants it in our hearts. Where do we get this from? Well, it's all throughout scripture, but Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Verse 33, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. Last week we said he writes his signature on our hearts. And he says, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. How is this made possible? Because he writes his word on our hearts and it is sealed This is the work of the Holy Spirit coming. He awakens us to our need of Jesus. There's a regeneration that takes place and our faith is placed in Christ Jesus then. All of this due to the grace of God. Without the grace of God, there is no understanding of our need for God. And yet he wrote his truth on our hearts. James 1.18, as we looked at last week, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Why were we brought forth? Why do we know God? Why do we make Jesus known? Because it's the will of God. That's why we trust in the will of God for it is good. So internally, there has already been a work at your salvation. And then externally, you have the written word. What a blessed day we live in where we hold this copy in our hands. So as you read, there's an external work that's happening as you receive it. And internally, what has been there by the grace of God is stirring within you. All scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. Why is this that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work? So if you wanna be equipped, if you want to be complete, if you want to be ready, you want to be prepared to go, then externally we read the word and we listen. We pause. And in that, I want to share this with you. It's not about how much 
you can read in one sitting, but what you are reading in that sitting. So just a simple practice. If you read the Bible this morning and then you got up and five minutes later, someone to ask you the question, what did you read? And you have no idea what just happened. Did you listen? It's like the wife looking to the husband. He's nodding his head and she says, what do I just say? I can tell you, you weren't listening. And in the word, we must slow down and we must absorb the word of God. Because if we have no real need for the word, then we have no real need for Jesus. And I hope all of us in this room today understand that there is a great need for Jesus. But if we're trying to know Jesus without his word, we're not going to know Jesus. John eight thirty seven. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. You seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and they're bragging about being the physical offspring of Abraham. And they're saying, hey, we're the children of Abraham. He says, hey, here's the problem though. You want to kill me. And you, you should know that the greatest thing about Abraham is Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. And they were making a bigger deal about Abraham than they were about Jesus. And he said, the reason you want to kill me is because my word, my implanted word is not in you. You don't know me. I'm standing right here in front of you face to face and you do not recognize me. You see, we need the implanted word. We need the grace of God. And see, we can still be hearers of the word, but we will not be doers of the word. If we do not truly listen, we will not be doers of the word. So the first thing we see is to remove the impurity of the flesh and receive the implanted word. And the second thing is to remember who you are in Christ. Hearers do not forget. I love this story that I read not long ago about a mirror and a witch doctor. Sounds interesting, right? Here it goes. There's a story of a missionary out in the bush who hung a small mirror on a tree in order to shave. The local witch doctor walked by and curiously looked into the strange glass and seeing her hideously painted features, she jumped back. Immediately, she began to bargain with a missionary for the mirror. The missionary hesitated, but then realized that the witch doctor would not back down. So he let her have the mirror. Immediately, she received the mirror and threw it on the ground, shattering it into pieces and shouted, there, it won't be making ugly faces at me anymore. She was confused. She didn't realize that what she was seeing in the mirror was actually true. And a lot of times we too, we come to the mirror of truth and we read it and we throw it on the ground and say there, it won't be making ugly faces at me anymore. You see, we need to see our ugly face in this mirror every day. And we need to see also another beautiful reflection, not ours, but God's. And so when we look into the mirror, the word, we have two reflections. First, we have the reflection of self. We see ourselves as we truly are. You see, before Christ, before we were in Christ, before we were following Christ, we were once driven by our conscience, our sinful conscience. So we may have partly known that we had some problems. Yeah, I know that I can get angry every now and then. Yeah, I know that I could gossip every now and then. Yeah, I know I could slander people. Yeah, I get that. That's not so bad though. Everybody does it. But after when we receive the word, it reveals all of our problems, problems we never knew we had. And yet we thought we had this beautiful face until we truly see all of the blemishes because of the word of God being a perfect mirror for us. 
But not only is it a reflection of self, but it is a reflection of God, where God allows us to gaze upon himself. Do you just enjoy gazing upon the beauty of God, the greatness of God, the purity of God, the love of God? When you read the word, is that what you're looking for? I want to see the reflection of God's goodness. For the early church, they were to focus on the beauty of God and not the ugliness of their uncertainty because it gets ugly. Trials are ugly. Temptations, ugly. But when you gaze into the word and you listen, there you can see the beauty of God. You can be strengthened. Psalm 27, verse four, in that David says, one thing I have asked of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Time out. Why does he want to live in the house of the Lord all the days of his life? So that he can have all the riches, so he can have all the comfort, so he can live a life without pain. So everything is just wonderful. Is that why he wants to live in the house? No, here's why he says he wants to live in a house, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That's why he wants to be in a house. Unfortunately, many times when we talk about heaven, we talk about heaven as if God's not even gonna be there. We wanna gaze upon other people. We don't wanna gaze upon other things. We have all these ideas of what we want eternal life to be, but eternal life, the greatest part of eternal life is that we get to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord every day. Why that doesn't seem so wonderful to us, why that doesn't seem so exciting to us all the time is because we've been blind to his beauty. And yet we look around and we think all these other things are beautiful in comparison to him. But yet when we truly listen to his word, the implanted word stirring within us, the power of the Holy Spirit, what we are able to gaze upon even now before we get to eternity and we are with him forever is that we can enjoy his beauty. That's what he's telling the early church. Yeah, your circumstances are tough. You have real trials. You have an emperor that wants to kill you. And yet you're needed. Aren't you grateful for the church in the first century that they didn't give up? That they didn't look at their situation and go, this is ugly. This is unfair, man. This is not good. I did not plan for this. This is not how I wanted it to all end. This is not good for my kids. It's not a good environment for my kids. I can't raise my kids in this environment. No, we're not doing this. We're out. No, they said we're in because we will gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. So not, not only will we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, but the ones who come after us will gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And the one who comes after them will gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And this gazing will continue on throughout the generations for God's glory. And here we are today with the blessing of being able to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. You see, a hearer that does not do, meaning he reads the word, but instead what he does is he turns the mirror from himself to others. He says, hey, I don't wanna look at my imperfections. I'm gonna look at the imperfections of others. So another thing that we have to be very careful of when we fail to listen is that we read the word for ammo. Oh, I can use this. Oh, I can use this for that person at work. I can use this for that debate. I can use this for that person's attitude. I can use this for my kids. Man, when my kids get out of line, I'm gonna use this word right here. Oh, I cannot wait to unleash this. 
what we fail to do is to see our own imperfections in that moment. Because when we see our own imperfections, when we see our sin, we handle these situations with grace and not vengeance. Church, we must realize this. There is a world of difference between reading a menu and eating a meal. If you were to go eat today, what good would it be if you knew everything on that menu and then the waitress comes and says, what would you like to eat? Nothing. Well, why not? Didn't you come to eat? No, but I can tell you everything on the menu. You want to hear it? Here it go. And you just tell the whole menu. Oh, what if you were to ask her, hey, what's on the menu? She could tell you the whole menu. Hey, what have you had? I hadn't had any of this food. Well, why not? Because this food's not good. I just know it's not good, but I can tell you the whole menu. What do you want? Think you want to eat there? No. You see, we can memorize the Bible and we should memorize scripture. We can speak the word and yet only know the word, but not do the word, meaning we're not feasting on the word. And so if you only look at the menu, but never eat, you will starve. And if you only read the Bible, but never apply the Bible to your life, you will indeed starve. So he says, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. What does this mean, looks? It means with penetrating absorption. It means to look into the perfect law, to look to Christ. If you hear this and you go, oh, there it is. Yeah, look into the 10 commandments. I knew it, I knew it. We need to memorize these. We need to live our life by the 10 commandments. It's to look to Jesus who upheld all the commandments. And this idea is where we're in amazement. So you see a little kid that's walking down the sidewalk and all of a sudden he stops and goes, wow, look at this bug. Come here quick, look at this thing. Look at all the legs. It is amazing. And you're going, it's okay. No, it's amazing. In that moment, nothing can deter that kid from saying that that bug is amazing. And when we come to the word of God, we pause, we meditate, we memorize, we absorb this good word, and we go, it is amazing. Maybe you've had that moment where you did have an amazing time in the word, and you go right outside your room, and your roommates are playing games or whatever, I don't know, and you say, hey, man, I just read something amazing. You want to hear it? Hey, man, just share it with us later. It's like a wet blanket being thrown on top of you. Don't let that stop you from being amazed by the word of God. You say, man, I'm being amazed by the word, but my spouse is not so amazed by the word right now. Don't let it stop you. Keep absorbing the word. Look to the law of liberty, for he will be blessed in his doing. You say, man, if I read the Bible, man, if I look to Christ every day, I'm missing out on all of these other things. And that's the temptation that you're going to have every time you open up the word, every time you kneel to pray, there are the thoughts of what else you could do better. but yet it will be worth your time. You will be blessed in your doing. And so three things that are pointed out in verses 26 and 27. Keep a tight ring on the tongue. Keep watch over the weak and the hurting and keep oneself spotless from worldly pollution. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So what we should not do is let our tongues control us. Well, we say, well, I didn't mean to say that, but actually you did. I mean, you said it. It was prepared, maybe not in that moment, but it was prepared maybe earlier that morning when your heart wasn't in the right place, but you were the one who prepared to say those things. 
You see, your tongue can't speak what you don't lead it to say. And yet we must have a tight rein on our tongue. The true test of a man's religion is not his ability to speak as we are apt to think, but rather his ability to bridle his tongue. We get amazed at some of the best speakers in the world. Wow, have you heard this new guy? He can speak, but have, have you ever gone, wow, man, have you, just, have you just seen the way that person can control their tongue? I should be really careful how I say that. How they stay silent. They, they don't speak out. They don't make it about them. Man, they're controlled. The true test of a man's religion is not his ability to speak, but rather his ability to bridle his tongue. Once while John Wesley was preaching, he noticed a lady in the audience who was known for her critical attitude. All through the service, she sat and stared at his new tie. When the meeting ended, she came up to him and said very sharply, Mr. Wesley, the strings on your bow tie are much too long. It's an offense to me. He asked if any of the ladies present happened to have a pair of scissors in her purse. When the scissors were handed to him, he gave them to his credit and asked her to trim the streamers to her liking. After she clipped them off near the collar, he said, are you sure they're all right now? She says, yes, that is much better. Then let me have those shears for a moment, said Wesley. I'm sure you wouldn't mind if I also gave you a bit of correction. I must tell you, madam, that your tongue is an offense to me. It is too long. Please stick it out. I'd like to take some off. Maybe that's what needs to happen. We just need to trim some off. Another time, John Wesley said this. A man came up to him who said, my talent is to speak my mind. And Wesley replied, that is one talent that God wouldn't care a bit if you buried Maybe we need to bury speaking our mind and we need to be more about speaking the word of God. We need to have a tight rein on our tongue. We're gonna look at this in chapter three in the coming weeks. But the second thing is this, keep watch over the weak and the hurting, the widows and the orphans in their distress, in their hurt, in their affliction. You imagine moving from your home and then you're going to a different place and then there are spouses who have lost their husbands or their wives. And then there are children who have lost their parents, maybe due to persecution. He's saying, don't forget them. Take them along with you. And don't say, no, 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 they're not a part of my family. No, they're a part of my family, God is saying to them. They're in my family. And I brought you into this family by my grace. Remember them. Do not forget them. This is so important. In fact, we're going to start with this in two weeks. We're going to come back to 26 and 27, and we're going to start with the weak and the hurting. But number two, he's pointing out, as we keep on doing, is we are to keep watch over the weak and the hurting. But remember this, that we were the outcast. We were the orphaned without a father. And by God's grace, he came to us, and he made us his very own, that we could call him Daddy. You think, well, I was a pretty lovely child. I mean, he picked me out of the lineup. No, you were an, you're an ugly child. <laughs> you were a wretched child. I, sinful child. Nothing beautiful about us in the lineup. 
except that we were along or among a group that none of us wanted to be picked up out of that lineup because we didn't want to have anything to do with him. And yet he knows what is best and he takes us and brings us to himself. This is why we should care for the weak and the hurting. We of all people should most understand this. And then finally, keep oneself spotless from worldly pollution. As a reminder, we are to shed the filthy garments and receive the robe of righteousness, which is this time where I point your attention to the table in front of us. The very reason that we take bread and dip into a cup, and that may be strange to you, that's just how we practice it here. The bread represents the body of Christ and the cup still represents the blood of Jesus. And as you come and you take that body, what you're remembering or that bread, you're remembering the body of Christ and that he took on your filthy garments so that you could put on the robe of righteousness so that you could smell good and pleasing unto the Lord. Jesus took on our filth and it was nailed to the cross. And so we remember his blood being spilt out and that blood covers us of all of our sin. So that Christian, when you're struggling in your life and maybe you have been recently with some things you've done and you're, you just have this overwhelming guilt or maybe something in your long past that you wish you never did and you still can't get over it. When you come to communion today, remember the blood of Christ, which washes all of that away. And so this table is for Christ's followers, those who have repented of their sin and trusted that Jesus did put on their filthy garments and that he went to the cross so that they could receive this righteous robe. There's nothing of arrogance in that. It's complete, complete humility. So we come with humble attitudes, humble hearts. And so it's not a time for us when we come to the table to to talk with our neighbors about what's been going on during the week, but our focus is completely on Jesus and being grateful for this gift that God has given us, that he sent his son, that Jesus came to us because we would never go to him. And that not only that, but Jesus is coming back again. And so when we take of this meal, we should be excited about that, that Jesus is coming back. Come Lord quickly. If you're not a follower of Christ today, this table is not open to you. And and we don't say that because we're better than you. I think if you just heard it, you'll realize that we have nothing to boast of except for Christ. But really it's for protection in your life. It's, It's to guard, but to let you know that this should not be done in an unworthy manner, which is, this isn't just a ritual that we do. Coming and taking of this bread and dipping into the cup is not going to make you a Christian if you're not a Christian right now. What you need is true repentance and, and trust in Jesus. And so myself and, and other pastors, we're going to be standing up here. Maybe you want to get up out of your seat when everybody else is standing up to come receive. And you want to come on down and, and we can have a conversation about following Jesus. But it's, it's this, recognizing that you're a sinner and that he died for your sins and you trust in him as Savior. Would you make that good confession today that Jesus is Lord? We would love to walk with you in discipleship and, and see you grow in Christ. But if that, that's what you need first before coming to the table. And I hope you would hear that and understand that we love you. We're glad that you're here. If there's any place we want you to be, it's here. We don't want you to feel left out in this moment. So you can even come forward if you want to and just with, with closed fists, just kind of see, hey, what is all of this about? I mean, everybody's coming to this table. Or maybe it's just best for you right now to stay seated and just to watch and observe. I mean, truly, I want you to hear this. We, we want you, in a sense, to be uncomfortable when it comes to hearing about Jesus and you don't have him. Because if you don't have Jesus, you're missing the point of life. 
but we want you to know that we love you. And our greatest care for you is that you would follow Jesus and we're here for you. Uh, For the church, this worthy manner, we come in a worthy manner because Christ alone is worthy. And so you're thinking, hey, I did some things this past week. God would not be pleased if I came to the table. He would be pleased if you would repent of those things truly and then come to the table. This is a time of repentance that is much needed. And so you move as God so leads you in a few minutes. What I hope you hear today is that as we hear the word, we will go and do. So as we receive this today, we will go and do. We we will take this communion and we will not hold Jesus to ourselves this week, but we will go and share Jesus with the world. So let us pray and ask God's blessings over this time of communion. And then I'll ask our men who are coming to serve today, if you'll come, and then it will be open to those uh, followers of Christ who would come and receive. So let us pray. Father, thank you for our time together today. Thank you that we can shed off the old garments and put on the new and that we can keep on doing what is pleasing to you, Father, all because of Jesus. So as we come to this table, may we receive with gratitude. If there's anything in our hearts right now that we are stubbornly holding on to, any sin that we're willingly committing right now that we're just not letting go of, Father, I pray that we will be miserable in our seats because that means we're in a position where we're not willingly submitting to you through your grace. Father, work mightily in our lives right now. Thank you that we can come and remember the greatest of all things that have ever happened at Christ coming to live among us in which he was perfect and dying among us which he took on our sin and rising from the grave, which shows he has power over sin and that he will indeed return for us. No longer will we be in a world of sin, but there will be a new world, a new heaven and a new earth in which we will worship you forever and we will gaze upon your beauty forever. Bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen.